This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy Woo! and sadness oh. and anger. Ah. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. Ah. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. Ah. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 376, and today we are talking about books being released on August 23rd, 2022, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Patricia L.Z. Tuttle, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Patricia, hello! Hey, Liberty, how's it going? Oh, you know, stuff, things and stuff. <laughs> um, let's see, uh, they're still building houses behind me and next to me, and it's I'm starting to get a little shining. Like, it's starting to get to me. Just, like, the constant pounding and sawing and just all the noises. It's hard to read when it's going on. And for the most part, I've been able to block it out. But now I'm just like, oh, work and no play. Just, it's it's starting to wear me down. I would like it to be done now. I hear you. <laughs> um, they just started yesterday a maybe three to four week roofing project mm-hmm. on my apartment building so they are redoing the roof thankfully i'm on the first floor so um, i'm not too affected by noise yet anyway but it has made it so that you can't get in and out of the garage so you have to park your car on the street if you want your car yeah well it's also like scaring the birds away i mean it's been going on for a few months now and like at night all the birds come because they're like during the day it's just like bang 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 you know oh so there's like so many birds at night which is pretty exciting as you might know if you've been listening you know I've I'm completely obsessed with birds right now <laughs> hummingbirds in particular I actually bought a nectar ring because if you can think of something the internet has it and and a couple weeks ago I thought like I would love to feed a hummingbird out of my hand. Like, how do I do that? And when I Googled, how do I feed a hummingbird out of my hand? Uh, this thing called a nectar ring came up. And it's like this big red plastic flower that you fill with with hummingbird juice. Nectar, I believe it's called. And <laughs> you wear it. And so the images of a young woman, like, standing, holding her hand up in the air. And I was like, your arm would fall off after a few minutes. Like, you can't, like, that's unreasonable to think that you could stand there and just hold your arm up until a hummingbird lands on it. So I've been sitting in my office and, like, opening my window a little bit and gripping the sill with, like, the ring outside the window. And I'm getting very close. Last night was the closest that I've come to having a hummingbird land on it. Like, they're, <laughs> they're learning. And so I think it's only a few more days before they actually stop. And, I mean, I was reading about them online, and so many people said that they work. So, because it turns out hummingbirds are very attracted to the color red. So, like, my feeder is red, and we have so many of them now. And it's pretty exciting. I love when you said that you're obsessed with birds now. My first thought is, like, Liberty has taken yet another step closer to being a cat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I would never eat one. No. Although, speaking of cats, uh, yesterday while I was sitting, you know, because I sit very still and I have my phone 
like filming in case this like actually happens, you know, I'll, I'll catch right. it. And I just sat there for like an hour and a half and I watched the birds and this one hummingbird kept landing on a branch right near my office window. And I watched it like clean itself like a cat with its back feet. And then a few minutes later, a bee landed on the windowsill and washed itself like a cat. I don't know if you know that they <laughs> do this, but they do. I'd never seen it before. And so it was very exciting. I'm just so excited about nature all the time now. It's one of those things, it's another thing that they always tell you, like, go outside, look at nature, it's great for you, you know? And I'm like, damn it, they're right. You know? So I've just been <laughs> observing that, which is pretty I exciting. hate when they're right. Yeah. And I have my first sunflower, and I grew it accidentally. You know, we feed the birds sunflower seeds, and we've been doing it for, like, ten years now. But for the first time, I think because I have this little floating fountain in the, the bird bath, it's been watering all around outside the bird bath. Uh, these sunflowers have started growing, like, and we just let them grow, and they're amazing. I've never had them before, so huh. that's pretty exciting. Yeah, I would grow sunflowers as a child with my yeah with my grandfather, but yeah, they're just so cool. This is this is my life. I feel like you know I didn't really get out and do a lot before the pandemic, and now it's just I'm like this is all I have to talk about. Just what's happening within like the, the ten by five feet in my office, you know, and what I can see outside. Like this is, but I mean I think it's pretty exciting. And people out there are probably like, yay hummingbirds and yay, you know, I was sending you pictures of hummingbirds last night, like this one in yeah. Brazil. No, I love it. I love it. Yeah. If if you have a moment, Google tufted coquette like. C-O-Q-U-E-T-T-E. It is amazing. I'm going to take Patricia to Brazil, and we're going to get a bunch and bring them back. We're going to have to smuggle them in, but, you know, that's fine. <laughs> bird smuggling. Yeah. We're going to become bird smugglers. <laughs> no, we're not. So, but we are going to talk about our first sponsor here. Today's episode is brought to you by Hachette Audio. Three years ago, sports agent Myron Balatar gave a eulogy at the funeral of his client, renowned basketball coach Greg Downing. So why, you may ask, is Greg now being placed at the scene of a double, not a singular, but a double homicide? I also wonder. So Greg Downing, who Myron gave a eulogy for is a suspect and Myron needs some answers. So Myron and Wynn, longtime friends and colleagues, set out to find the truth, but the more they discover about Greg, the more dangerous their world becomes. Secrets, lies, and a murderous conspiracy that stretches back into the past churn at the heart of Harlan Coben's blistering new novel, Think Twice. And the audiobook is narrated by his longtime narrator, Steve Weber. Now, if you don't know about Steve, Steve gives each character distinct voices and accents, making this a more immersive listen. Make sure to check out Think Twice by Harlan Coben. And thanks again to Hachette Audio for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Penguin Team. In a world where the children of the gods inherit their powers, a descendant of the Greek fates must solve a series of impossible murders to save her sisters, her soulmate, and her city. Descendants of the fates are always born in threes. There's one to weave, one to draw, and one to cut the threads that connect people to the things they love and to life itself. And the Aura sisters are no exceptions. There is Eo, the youngest, who uses her fate-born abilities as a private investigator, but her latest job leads her to a horrific discovery. Somebody is abducting women and setting the resulting wraiths loose in the city to kill. 
Now, the second book in the series, Hearts That Cut, will be on sale June 18th, 2024. This is a must read for all Greek mythology and fantasy fans. This is dripping with atmosphere, edged with danger. Threads that bind weaves together a gorgeous dark tapestry of mystery, faded romance, and modern myth. You won't be able to put this one down. And that comes from Alexander Bracken, New York Times bestselling author of Lore. So make sure to pick up Threads That Bind by Kitsa Hatsapolu. And thanks again to Penguin Teen for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so now back to books. Before I start talking about my first pick for today, I just want to mention that, holy cats, uh, I talked about Jeanette McCurdy's memoir, I'm Glad My Mom Died, on the show two weeks ago. And I don't know if you've been keeping up with the news. She's everywhere. It seems like everyone is reading it. And it sold out, like, across all platforms in most stores the first day that it came out. Like, it's it's still back-ordered. They keep getting it in and it keeps selling out. And it just feels like it's been a really long time since we've heard about a book that sold like that, you know? And I feel like maybe the publisher didn't know how it was going to how it was gonna land. You know, I know a lot of people are really upset with the title. And so I think they were kind of like, well, we'll see what happens. And it's just been number one forever. And it's number one on Storygraph. It knocked Emily Henry out of the top spot where she'd been the most viewed book on Storygraph for like, weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and I just thought it was interesting because that doesn't happen very often anymore yeah it has been a while um I thought that was pretty pretty cool so now I'm going to talk about an amazing book that I read that is out today it is called The Very Secret Society of Irregular Witches by Sangu Mandana this book is a freaking delight oh my goodness Oh my goodness. Like, I just want to squeal and wave my arms. I'm, I'm doing it right now. I'm making Muppet arms. You just can't see me. It's just the most charming contemporary witch story. It's about a young witch named Micah Moon. She's a young woman in her 30s. She lives in Britain. And just, you have to go that witches are real. Turns out they're real, although there are not very many of them. And in Britain, Micah is only one of 21 witches who belong to this society. They don't really have a name, so she calls it the Very Secret Society of Irregular Witches, which the head of the society, Primrose, really hates, but she thinks it's funny, so Micah keeps calling it that. And the thing about witches is they're real. They can do magic. And for some reason, which no one understands, witches are always orphaned. Like, when they're born, something terrible befalls their parents you know, an, uh, an accident of some kind or, or something. And so these witches get adopted and uh, Micah herself was adopted by Primrose from an orphanage in India and brought to England. And it's a very lonely existence. The rules of witches are that no one must know that witches are real. Like, you can't tell anybody. You know, you, you shouldn't really get married. This is These are Primrose's rules. You shouldn't get married because your spouse might find out. Um, you know, you, sh- you can't hang out with other witches, like, too much power in one place, except for this one meeting that they have on the third Thursday of every third month. You can't hang out with other witches, so you don't really have anyone to talk to about your powers and what your life is like. Uh, and so Micah, you know, like I said, she's in her early 30s. She's been a witch for, you know, her whole life, and she starts making these videos on YouTube, which they call Witchcore, and she's in the videos pretending, in quotes, to be a witch. You know, people watch these and they're like, wow, look at these special effects. And, you know, these videos are really great. And, you know, she's actually just doing real magic, but people don't know witches are real, so they don't know that the magic is real. Uh, And Primrose is not happy 
that Micah has been doing these. But Micah has sort of found a, a way to get around the rules. Like, she's not breaking any rules. So, you know, she she's making these videos. But then she receives a message saying, you know, I saw your videos. I know that you can do magic. You know, would you please come tutor these three young witches? Micah's like, that's not possible. Like, first of all, all the witches that we know about are in this society. And witches are not allowed to gather together. So there's no way that, like, three children, witches, are, you know, together in any one spot. But she's really intrigued. She's very intrigued. So she decides that she's going to go check this out. So she drives to this hidden estate. You have to, like, be looking for it in order to see it. And when she gets there, she can feel magic. But she's like, magic? Like, people, these people don't know that magic is real. There's no way that, that there's really magic here. And when she gets there, she meets an elderly man and his husband, who is the groundskeeper, uh, she meets a lovely housekeeper slash cook, and also a handsome but very grumpy Irishman her own age who watches after the children. And it turns out there are these three girls who live there. They are young witches. I think they're like 8, 10, and 12, or 7, 9, and 11, something like that. And the people who live in this house have been caring for them. They teach them their schooling, their history, their math, their science, all that stuff. But... Their powers are growing, and nobody there can teach them about being a witch and how to harness their powers. They were brought to this home by a woman who owns the the estate, uh, who is a witch, but she's never there. Like, Michael learns that, like, she barely makes an appearance and r- depends on these adults to take care of the kids, but they don't have any powers so they don't know how to you know help them. Like one of them, like she starts making, uh, you know, magic fire which doesn't actually burn anything, just appears, you know, but she has no control over it and they don't know what to do. So Mike is very confused because how is this possible? Like if there were witches, first of all, like I said, you know, Primrose would know about them and she would separate them because no witches can be together because this is what happens when their powers are together. They get they get larger and they go unchecked and it's going to be dangerous for people involved, not just them, but also the people who live there, you know. So she also finds out that danger is coming to the house in the form of a man who will be visiting in several weeks. So Micah's like, mm, you know, she wants to say no, but, she, you know, she feels something for these girls. Like, she herself, you know, like I said, she was adopted by Primrose as an infant and brought to, to England and left in this mansion where she was raised by nannies and tutors, and she was very lonely, and nobody taught her anything about magic, and she had to learn everything for herself, and, and she wants to help these girls. So she... Decides to take the job. And so two of the girls are so excited. One of them, the middle child, is resistant to her being there. Um, she's She's got a little bit of a Wednesday Adams vibe going on, and she doesn't want Micah there. Uh, and so you know she's going to have to try and win her over. And also win over the grumpy Irishman who has been looking after these kids and doesn't trust her with them. Like, he doesn't trust a stranger with these kids. You know, he knows that they've been abandoned by the witch who brought them there. Um, he knows that, that they're going to be very lonely in their lives because there are not very many people like them. And so she's going to have to try and win him over, too. This book is so charming. Oh, my goodness. I guess charming is a really great adjective to use for a witch book. But I just loved it to pieces. Micah is hilarious and awesome. The children are very precocious and very funny. Micah has a dog, Cersei, who is the best golden retriever there ever was. You know, unless you at home have a golden retriever, and then yours is obviously the best one out there. What a good dog. But it's just, it's it's so much fun. And like I said, the witches can do real magic, like all kinds of things. You know, flying and levitation and potions and wards. 
And so I loved that it wasn't just like a little bit here, a little bit there. Like they're full on witches. And it's so great. I do want to give content warnings for death of parents. Like I said, all of the witches have been orphaned and we hear about the terrible things that happen to their parents. Child neglect and racism. This is the very secret society of irregular witches by Sangu Mandana. Oh my gosh, that book is on my TBR and I saw you were talking about it today. And yeah, I'm I'm very excited to read that one. Yeah, I was reading this book that I'll mention later, but I was reading this book and I loved it so much. This Not this book, but like another book I was reading. And so I kind of stacked the deck and I picked this one next, like the Secret Society, because I had heard nothing but great things. So I was like, I'm going to read two amazing books in a row. This is going to happen. And it did. I was like, yay. <laughs> but it was kind of like cheating because <laughs> I knew it was going to be amazing. <laughs> oh my gosh. So for my first pick today, I have Aphrodite and the Duke by J.J. McAvoy. This is a Regency-era second-chance romance featuring straight Black characters, and it fits nicely in that Bridgerton-shaped hole in your heart. While there is definitely some trauma talked about in the book, it isn't racism-based trauma, and racism is hardly a theme in this book, if at all, if I'm remembering correctly. Also, it's told from multiple viewpoints. I know some people are super into that and some people aren't, so I wanted to let you know. Aphrodite Dubell feels incredibly burdened by her name because it's a heck of a name to have to live up to. She is definitely beautiful and talented and feels pressure to constantly be the most beautiful, the most talented, the most everything. Being named after the goddess of love and beauty is a lot to ask of someone. Unsurprisingly, there are a lot of caged bird metaphors. She loves to read and walk about the gardens. Her mother thinks she loves to read a little bit too much. She is in a big family, five siblings, and the family is incredibly loving and close with each other. Aphrodite is 22 and unmarried. She had every intention of marrying her childhood friend, Evander Eagleman, the Duke of Everly. As far as she knew, he had every intention of marrying her as well. So during the season of her coming out when she was 18, she turned down every offer from every suitor, like even just offers of visiting her. She was like, no, I'm good. Expecting Evander to show up and ask for her hand. She waited and waited, and he never showed. In fact, the next she heard was that he had gotten married to someone else. This happened four years before the beginning of the book. It is now the next eldest daughter's turn for her coming out, and the family has insisted that Aphrodite go to London for the season with everyone to show support for her. Her name's Hathor, who is just Hathor is just a giant ball of anxiety and trying to be, you know, even half as beautiful and talented, etc. as her older sister Aphrodite. Coincidentally, Evander has a younger sister, Verity, who is also coming out this season. On top of that, Evander's wife just passed away. So the likelihood of Aphrodite and Evander crossing paths when they're in London is incredibly high. Aphrodite's family is actually torn on this. 
Aphrodite's mother, who is also Evander's godmother, is depending on them running into each other and making up and getting married. But Damon, Aphrodite's older brother, is very much against it and does not want his sister getting hurt yet again. While Evander is the duke of an estate, he and Verity have had multiple traumatic experiences growing up due to their careless and abusive, now deceased, father and the father's second wife, who was his mistress and definitely not from their circles. This book went to some places that I did not expect it to go. Yes, it's a Regency romance with a happily ever after, but now that I think about it, it's... I think this is the first Regency romance I've actually read, aside from A Lady for a Duke, maybe? There is definitely sex on the page, which is both steamy and charming. Content warnings for physical and verbal abuse, including child abuse, discussion of suicide, and violence. This is Aphrodite and the Duke by J.J. McAvoy. All right. So, for my next pick for today... Uh, I'm actually going to talk about a book that is coming out in paperback, which, first of all, I can't believe it only came out last year. I feel like it's been out for years and years, possibly because it has won so many awards. It is All the Frequent Troubles of Our Days, the true story of the American woman at the heart of the German resistance to Hitler by Rebecca Donner. This book won the National Book Critics Circle Award for Biography. It won a Penn Award. It was a finalist for the Los Angeles Times Book Award. If you look under the books on the back jacket, it has been nominated and won so many things. And uh, somehow we didn't talk about it on the show when it came out. I can't remember if I didn't get a copy of it in time or what, but I did end up reading it a few months ago and it's just remarkable and really sticks with you. Uh, this is a biography of Donner's great, great aunt, Mildred Harnack. Mildred was born and raised in Milwaukee and when she was 26 years old, she had a chance to enroll in a PhD program in Germany. And while she was over there, like around 1932, uh, she witnessed the rise of the Nazi party. And she was just appalled by what was happening in Germany. And she started a resistance. She started holding secret meetings in her apartment. Uh, she gathered together a small group of political activists and in like 10 years later, or not even 10 years later, they had grown into this huge resistance, like the largest resistance in, in Berlin. And, you know, this group helped Jewish people escape the country. They wrote leaflets denouncing Hitler and spread them around under the cover of night. Uh, they committed acts of sabotage. And when World War II started, uh, she became a spy for the Allies. And that is how she changed over to fighting, you know, the Nazis uh, and continued to fight against the Nazis until she was captured by the Gestapo and executed, which is not some, you know, a, you don't you don't say a spoiler for this kind of thing. But I mean, it is a horrifying, you know, tragic thing uh, that is right there on the jacket. Like, I don't want you to be surprised by this. But this book is incredible. Donner did extensive research on the life of Mildred Harnack, you know, her great great aunt. Uh, she got declassified info, materials that have been smuggled out of Germany. Uh, she interviewed survivors. And she looks at you know, what drove her. You know, why did she decide to do this? Why did she decide to fight the Nazis? You know, and, and it makes you wonder, like, could you step up like this when the time came? You know, it really has you thinking. Um, it also reminded me, uh, there's a movie that I watched in 2005 that was 
the true story of a young German student who fought against the Nazis in during World War II, Sophie Scholl. And there's a film called Sophie Scholl that uh, has just haunted me ever since I watched it. I mean, it, it just it's just remarkable and so tragic and just amazing, as is this book. It has all the content warnings, uh, this book, uh, you know, anti-Semitism, violence, murder, sexual assault, you know, you... It, it is a hard book to read, but it is remarkable. It is all the frequent troubles of our days, the true story of the American woman at the heart of the German resistance to Hitler by Rebecca Donner. For my next book, I have To Catch a Raven by Beverly Jenkins. This is also a historical romance featuring straight black characters, but race and racism are very much part of this book as it takes place primarily in the southern United States in the late 1870s. This is the third book in Jenkins' Women Who Dare series, and as someone who read this book but not the others, I can tell you that this book totally holds its own without having read the two other books. I am an absolute sucker about a book that has a con artist as a main character. This book not only has that, but it has an entire family of con artists, and each person is an absolute delight. So, first we start with people not in this con artist family. We start with father and son in Boston, Harrison and Braxton Steele. They are well-off black men, as Braxton's grandfather, a.k.a. Harrison's father-in-law, had a fleet of merchant ships. Braxton is used to comfort, and he is a tailor. Harrison is a painter and illustrator. Well, Harrison, the father's past, has come back to cause some trouble. Before Braxton's mother, he was in love with a woman named Hazel Moreau. Hazel, like her mother, her siblings, and now her children, was an incredibly talented con artist. When Hazel and Harrison were together many years ago, Harrison would produce incredibly good counterfeit paintings that they turned around and sold. Well, at present, a white woman detective has threatened Harrison and Hazel, who is still living down in New Orleans, with arrest unless Harrison and Hazel convince their respective children to help pull a heist to recover something that was stolen. Hazel and Harrison haven't talked for decades, but suddenly he and Braxton find themselves in Hazel's home in New Orleans, meeting Hazel and her family, especially her daughter, Raven. The detective has told them that a copy of the Declaration of Independence has been stolen, but the detective knows who has it, a former Confederate official in South Carolina. The detective wants Braxton and Raven to go pose as husband and wife to go work for this man. They will dis be disguised as the chauffeur and the housekeeper, and they are to find and steal back the copy of the Declaration of Independence. Apparently, this Confederate official and his wife only hire black people as servants because they like to feel like they are still owning enslaved people. So, you know, terrible all around. Of course, Braxton is a goody two-shoes and super judgmental of the life that Hazel, Raven, and the Moreau family leads, but he will do anything to keep his father out of the penitentiary. Raven finds Braxton insufferable, of course. 
This animosity and tension does not last long and things definitely get spicy. There is a good helping of sex on the page, as well as some very touching acts of kindness that made my heart melt. I really enjoyed this book, and now I want to go back and read the other two in the Women Who Dare series. It's To Catch a Raven by Beverly Jenkins. All right. So many good books. It's hard to keep up. Yeah. So those are today's releases that we have read, that we are excited about, and now we're going to talk about some more books today that we haven't necessarily read, but we are excited about. Do you think that the word we use most on the podcast is excited? After, maybe after book? Probably. I think so. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. There's there's a lot of excitement going on. I say it all the time. I'm just like, excited, excited, excited. So, <laughs> uh, my first pick for today is, very excited for this one, it sounds so nerdy and right up my alley, is Babel, or The Necessity of Violence, An Arcane History of the Oxford Translators' Revolution by R.F. Kuang. Huang is the author of the Poppy War Trilogy, which is excellent, and contrary to popular belief, a series for adults, not YA. I mean, you could read it if you're young, but, you know, for some reason it always gets lumped into YA. It's it's not. Um, and this is about a young Chinese man who is orphaned and brought to London by a mysterious professor. This is like 1828. Uh, and the professor teaches him all these languages, and they, he prepares him to enroll in Oxford. He's going to work on Babel, which is what they call the Royal Institute of Translation. And translating in this world involves magic. They call it silverworking. And it, it says here that that is the art of manifesting the meaning lost in translation using enchanted silver bars. Uh, and now in this book, the ability to translate things using magic has made Britain the supreme power and helped with the colonization of their empire. And so Robin is the student who is now in, in England, and he's been given this opportunity. But, you know, does he want to continue to work on Babel when he's helping, you know, colonizers? And so he must figure out how to stop what's going on, especially when Britain decides to pursue war in China. And it says here, can powerful institutions be changed from within or does revolution always require violence? It sounds amazing and possibly the answer is in the title because it is called Babel or the Necessity of Violence, an Arcane History of the Oxford Translators Revolution by R.F. Kuang. So another book that comes out today is The Sleepless by Victor Manabo. I have not yet read it, but I am very... I was going to say excited. I am very thrilled. See, sorry, I ruined it for us now. <laughs> I am thrilled to get to it. I need to use the thesaurus. It is a blend of genres, a sci-fi cyberpunk thriller mystery in near future New York City by a queer Filipino author who is good for fans of Jeff Vandermeer, Annalie Newitz, and Victor Laval. In The Sleepless, there is a pandemic that causes a quarter of the world's population to lose the ability to sleep. Even though these folks can no longer sleep, there don't seem to be any kind of health problems associated with it. So some of these people use all this extra time to hustle and build wealth and so forth. This new class of people, The Sleepless, is both feared and ostracized. Our protagonist is journalist Jamie Vega, and he is sleepless. Can't sleep, doesn't need to sleep. 
His boss dies a mysterious death, and Jamie doesn't buy the suicide explanation. And so, as a journalist, he starts doing some investigating of his own. He soon realizes that he is the last person to have seen his boss alive and is considered a suspect, but he doesn't remember that night at all. It might be due to how he became sleepless, which he actually didn't become sleepless because of the pandemic, but instead by doing some illegal biohacking. Like I said, I'm thrilled to get to this book and it is out today. It's The Sleepless by Victor Manabo. All right. So before I tell you about my other pick, we are going to hear from our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. From the best-selling author of The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle comes a new mystery. A fog has swept the planet, killing anyone it touched except for the island where villagers and scientists live in harmony. The villagers content to do what they're told by the scientists. But then one of the beloved scientists is found brutally stabbed to death, and they realize the security system around the island has malfunctioned and has wiped everyone's memories of exactly what happened the night before. So someone on the island is a murderer, and they don't even know it. Best-selling author Stuart Turton is a major voice in the mystery space, The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle, and his second novel, The Devil and the Dark Water, have sold over 450,000 copies and become a TikTok phenomenon. He's received fantastic reviews from best-selling authors in major outlets. Make sure to check out his latest work, The Last Murder at the End of the World. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. All right. So my other choice for today in books that I have not read, but I'm looking forward to reading, is A Dreadful Splendor by B.R. Myers. It's a paperback original out today, and it just sounds really fun. A lot of, like, really charming, magical fantasy books today. I'm going to talk about some more when we get to paperbacks. But this is a gothic murder mystery that also has romance. And it's about a fake spiritualist who is holding a seance for a bride who died on the eve of her wedding. But something happens. You know, like, the the fake spiritualist tries to swindle people. You know, people who are mourning. But then... You know, she meets a guy who says, you know, I want you to come talk to my my bride-to-be. You know, something happened, but, you know, you shouldn't mess around with this kind of stuff. And also, when the 
fake spiritualist goes to this this manor to to do the seance, you know, perform the seance, I guess is what you, what you wanted to say. She finds out that uh, maybe something like really bad happened to the bride and it possibly is has been perpetrated by somebody at that house right then. Plus also there's this really handsome man who is no longer getting married. So what's going to happen? It sounds really fun. There's also this whole side thing where uh, she'll get her freedom because she's going to go to jail for being, uh, you know, liar, liar, pants on fire. Uh, and if she can solve this crime and talk to the bride and find out what happened to him, she gets her freedom. So I like a story like that. Uh, so this one sounds delightful and I can't wait to read it. It is A Dreadful Splendor by B.R. Myers. For my last book today, I have Hoodoo for Everyone, Modern Approaches to Magic, Conjure, Rootwork, and Liberation by Sherry Schoen. This is also a new book out today. It is sitting by my bedside. I haven't gotten to it yet. But Hoodoo, which is also known as Conjure or Rootwork, is African-American folk magic. It is not a religion like voodoo or santeria. It is folk magic that was created by and for enslaved Africans in the southern United States. So if enslaved Africans had problems, they didn't have access to law enforcement or lawyers, so they would see their local hoodoo practitioner. If you have been on the internet at all the last couple of years, magic, witchcraft, mysticism, esoterica, etc. has gotten incredibly popular. And of course, with the popularity has come massive amounts of cultural appropriation of things like smudging rituals with white sage or palo santo. In being mindful of that, I've been reading more books about the folk magics connected to my ancestors, aka hoodoo, and this book is right on time. I haven't read this particular book yet, but from other books about hoodoo and root work that I've read so far, hoodoo isn't concerned with karma. Hoodoo is about doing what you need to do to protect yourself and your family, and I am incredibly fascinated by this framework. This book focuses on magic for folks seeking liberation and healing and aims to be accessible to folks from many backgrounds. The back cover promises in-depth discussions about gender, religion, and cultural appropriation, as well as practical things like spells versus spell work, objects, and the like. Folk magics are a way that some people connect to and relate to the world around us, and I look forward to reading about this particularly misunderstood slice of my culture. It's Hoodoo for Everyone, Modern Approaches to Magic, Conjure, Rootwork, and Liberation by Sherry Schoen. All right, those are some amazing sounding books and amazing books that we have read. Now I'm going to tell you about a few paperback releases out today, starting with The Insiders by Mark Ashiro. I read this one. It's excellent. I can't remember if I talked about it on the show or if I talked about it in the newsletter, but this is Ashiro's debut middle grade novel. It's about three kids who feel like they don't fit in at school, and so they kind of hang out together, and then they find a room in their school that shouldn't exist. In nonfiction, there's The Quiet Zone, Unraveling the Mystery of a Town Suspended in Silence by Stephen Kersey. This is nonfiction about an area of Appalachia where cell phones and Wi-Fi are banned. They call it, surprise, surprise, The Quiet Zone. 
And Kersey goes and, and investigates this because, like, how does such a place exist anymore? Tirza was reading it. She talked about it on the show. And I got all excited and I started it. But I don't know what happened. I don't know where I put it. Uh, so I'll have to get back to it. The Girls Are Never Gone by Sarah Glenn Marsh. Again, I talked about this somewhere. I can't remember where, but I loved this. This is a queer YA horror thriller about a teen with a podcast who volunteers to go help clean up this old mansion, but actually has ulterior motives because this old estate was also the site of a possible murder. And she wants to talk about it on her podcast, so she's going to poke around. In looking up paperbacks today, I found out that there is a 13th book in the Chronicles of St. Mary series, A Catalog of Catastrophe. This is a series by Jody Taylor, starting with just, oh my goodness, I can't remember, just one damn thing after another. There we go. I knew I'd, I'd get it. Uh, it's kind of a little Connie Willis. They're a little Doctor Who. It's about the St. Mary's Institute of Historical Research, in which the historians there don't just study the research, they actually visit it. And now I have to catch up because I'm only up to, I missed like number 11 and 12, so I'm going to be reading those soon. They're great fun. There's a couple more witch books out today. Witches are so in. I know I mentioned this a few times now, but they are. They're, witches are hot in 2022. Uh, there's Small Town Big Magic by Hazel Beck, which is about an independent bookstore owner who fights off an attack with magic, which surprises her and everyone else, and then turns out she's a witch. She didn't know she was a witch because... The town is full of witches, but she failed her initial witch test, and so they wiped her memory, and she didn't know she had powers. And there's also The Witches of Moonshine Manor by Bianca Marias, and this one, I don't know how this escaped me, but it's about a coven of five octogenarian witches and a magical heist. Like, do I need to say anything else? No, I will be reading this very soon. All about the witches today. Just love it. There's also The Undertaking of Heart and Mercy by Megan Bannon, which is a romantic fantasy, and I picked this one up because Helen Huang, the author of The Kiss Quotient, said, if you ever wished for an adult romance that felt like Howl's Moving Castle, this is that book. I mean, how could you pass up, you know, a, a blurb like that? And also today is Love on the Brain by Allie Hazelwood. Hazelwood is the author of The Love Hypothesis, which was a huge, huge hit last year. Uh, they're called Steminist Rom-Coms, which is just genius. I don't know if she came up with that name or someone else, but I just think that they deserve a raise. And this one is about a scientist at NASA who is forced to work on her project with her nemesis. So those are paperbacks out today. Those are a whole bunch of books. Shusha, what are you going to read next? So, as usual, I'm reading two books at a time. I'm first reading House of Hunger by Alexis Henderson. Um, it's out on September 27th. I am so into it. I haven't read a book this fast in a while. I'm like halfway through it already. And it is, she doesn't use the word vampire so far, but it is definitely people drinking the blood of other people. So, you know. Take what you will of that, but I am super into it. And I am also reading Get Good With Money, 10 Simple Steps to Becoming Financially Whole by Tiffany Aliche. Um, I have been very concerned about retirement planning lately. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it's not going to go away if I just ignore it. So I'm I'm gathering some information. How about you? So I am very excited, first of all, to read House of Hunger, because I'm pretty sure that's Countess Elizabeth Bathory. Like, that's her story. The Blood Countess. Yes. 
it definitely like it definitely like is a fictionalization of like the the name is very similar like the last name of the countess is Bathory but uh the first name is like a different version of Elizabeth mm-hmm. but also um so in Jason Porath's rejected princesses Jason Porath is a historian who studies women from history and the section on Elizabeth Bathory is very interesting because it's not um, he talks a bit about all of the lore around her um, Mm -hmm. and which it really seems like oh maybe all these terrible things aren't necessarily true it's just people hating that a woman was in power yeah it was a land grab totally yeah but when I was in middle school, you know, I read everything that I possibly could about her. Because Absolutely. Like, wow. You know, and I loved vampires because <laughs> I was in middle school, you know. So, um, but then, you know, I, know, I got older, I read books about her and they were like, yeah, total lie, complete land grab, you know. <laughs> so it's so fascinating. Um, so before I tell you what I'm going to read next or what I am reading, I want to tell you, I just read a book called Big Swiss, Swiss Like the Cheese, by Jen Began. And oh, my holy cats. Uh, so I first heard about this book last year because I don't even think that Began was done writing it when the screenwrite sold and Jodie Comey from Killing Eve was immediately attached to the project. And it's all anybody like talks about now whenever they mention Jodie Comey, you know, is like, she's going to be a big Swiss, she's going to be a big Swiss. And so I just got a galley uh, yesterday and I read the whole thing. And it's about a transcriber who works for a sex therapist transcribing his tapes and she becomes enamored with one of his patients who she nicknames Big Swiss. But it's so banana pants and so dark and so filthy. And I loved it so much. I was like, I don't know what this says about me, but it's just unlike anything else I've read. I've not read Began's other two novels, uh, Pretend That I'm Dead and Vacuuming in the Dark, but I immediately dug them out of the piles and I'm going to read those soon. But just watch for Big Swiss because holy cats is all I can say. Um, in the meantime, I have started Chain Gang All-Stars by Nana Kwame Ajay-Brenya, which is about a for-profit prison television show in which the prisoners fight gladiator-style uh, it's set in the not-so-far future and not-so-unrealistic, really. He is amazing. This is his debut novel. He's the author of Friday Black, which I just love so much. Uh, and I also started How to Sell a Haunted House by Grady Hendrix of, you know, the horror store and Southern Vampire fame. Um, so a lot of wild stuff going on in my reading life. But Big Swiss, Wow. Is all I can say. I hadn't heard of that book yet. Now I'm adding it to my list. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I hate saying this, but it's not going to be for everyone. It's so bizarre. And the main character is, she has a lot of issues and, you know, there's there's some violence and it's just, you know, but it, it, because people haven't heard about it, except that the the film rights sold, you know, so everybody is going to be talking about it next year because it's bananas. Like, I, I messaged Rebecca. I was like, I found this book for you. And she's like, I hadn't heard of it. And I was like, you will, you know? And so, <laughs> like, a bunch of my other friends, and they're like, what? And I was like, just, yeah. I don't even know if you're going to like it. I just need someone else to read it and be like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> or, you're correct. This is amazing. So that is it for us today. Uh, we got in our bird talk, our cat talk, our book talk. 
A lot of witch talk. Witch talk, yeah. Witches, <laughs> big fan. Uh, we didn't talk about the weather, but that's okay. Uh, we want to thank our awesome sponsors. We want to thank our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com if you want to talk about hummingbirds or witches or big Swiss. You can find us online. Patricia is on Twitter and Instagram at the infofile. That's T H E I N F O P H I L E. I mostly hang out on Instagram at Franz and Comes Alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and Spotify and wherever it is that you get your podcasts and leave a rating or review. It really helps other people find us and we appreciate it so much. And just thank you to all the people that that have done it. Uh, I, I saw a review the other day that just like made my life. Uh, so Allison, thank you so much. And Patricia, thank you for hanging out with me today. Love it. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading! reading.